is not just about understanding the technology. It's about how it's used across the world. What, yeah. It's all about inclusivity, right? Mm. And you've got to design services for everybody yeah. um, so that there's as much use as possible and mm. as, as much access as possible to your services. Yeah. And the only way to do that is to really hear how different people are That's it. and how unique the situations are that they're in. Welcome to The Lens with me, Ollie Barrett. My guests today are Nikki Clegg, who is Chief Technology Officer of the law firm Irwin Mitchell, and Fadia Hossein, who is a lawyer at Clifford Chance, another very significant law firm in the magic circle. And we're going to talk about uh, three things, really. Uh, we're going to talk about how technology is changing the world of law. We're going to talk about how to make your organisation even more accessible. And we're going to ponder the role that humans will play in the future of work. Let's get to the conversation. Nikki, Fadia, welcome. Thank you. Now I'm meeting you uh, for the first time today and I wonder if we could start. Uh, Fadia, I always think when I think of Clifford Chance, it's a global firm. It's one of the magic circle firms, offices around the world, notoriously uh, challenging to get into and, uh, and, uh, and obviously to thrive within. But I just want to start a bit more personally, how you uh, got started. What were your very first uh, steps uh, in the world? Uh, tell us a little bit about your background and also how, how you got into the world of law. Sure. Well, I am originally from Iraq and I have a law degree in Arabic. Um, in terms of um, starting my legal journey in the UK, I did a law degree at the University of Greenwich and then the LPC at the University of Law. Um, I had like a break between um, completing the LPC and securing the training contract. I used that break to do a variety of work, mainly in the legal world and the charity sector. I set up groups for visually impaired people. I volunteered for organisations like the Free Representation Unit, uh, where I represented people at employment tribunals free of charge. Um, my journey with the Clifford Chance, um, it was and still fascinating. I started by applying for their open day and uh, inside workshop and then secured the training contract and started it in February of 2015. Yeah, so it's relatively uh, recently if we think about it. I mean, some people listening to the lens are mm. you know, applying for things as we speak. Give, give, give them a piece of advice. You made it through, something in you wish you'd known. In terms of applying for yeah. Clifford Charles. Yeah. I think it's a great firm, a great employer. Um I think what makes Clifford Chance uh, different to other law firms, people who work there, I would say I felt I was very welcomed and made, felt I was at my current employer since I started applying even before securing a job with Clifford Chance. Wonderful people. You meet very intelligent people, obviously, there, um, but they are down to earth modest, happy to share their, their knowledge and experience with you, happy to guide you and offer their guidance to make sure that you reach your intended outcome of working for Clifford Chance. Yeah, and it, it is a fascinating firm. I wonder if we could just zoom in because from the outside, um, clearly it's in uh, you know a world-class law firm. But if we if we zoom into your role a bit, what does it involve day to day? Give us an example of sure. the sort of work you, you get involved in. Um, I work as a financial regulation lawyer. Um, I um, deal basically with international clients, mainly bank and financial institutions. Um, in terms of tasks, um, I it's like a, a variety of tasks, I would say, from reviewing documents, drafting legal uh, documents such as opinion, memorandums, meeting clients, conducting research, uh, um, instructing law firms in other countries. 
all over the world and I do mean it when I say all over the world um, either by contacting our law firms in other countries or other um, uh, law firms where we don't have uh, offices but we have partnerships uh, with the law firms in such countries so it's a variety um, And what would you say Fadi is the single most enjoyable thing the thing in which you absolutely thrive what do you most enjoy? When I'm able to meet the client's deadline Yes. It is challenging <laughs> and it's an intellectually challenging task and you don't have a long time, but you are able to meet the deadline. And one thing I wanted to talk about in this particular episode is the role that technology plays. And clearly this goes through all of the Lens mm-hmm. episodes. But I wonder if we could just start to explore that a mm-hmm. bit, Fadia, the role that technology plays in your role and in your life more broadly. Give us a sense. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I am visually impaired. I use two screen readers um, so I can basically exercise my life or practice as a lawyer with a clever chance. Um, These screen readers enable me to read materials, whether in an electronic format or hard copy format on my computer. Uh, So basically, the first one is called JAWS. And it reads everything on the screen. Very detailed. And I do mean it when I say very detailed. It reads everything, punctuation, spaces. Um, it tells me when the text is bolded, italicized, etc. And it enables me to read, write, research, peruse documents, etc. Quite competently and efficiently. Um, I read very fast to the extent that no one can understand what I'm listening to, but I can. And this is converting um, the, 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 yes. the visual word... Into speech? Uh, Absolutely. Into an audio format. Yes, and I use it with my headphones, obviously. And the second one is called Casuile, and it helps me to read hard copy materials after being scanned. Uh, And I would say regardless of the format, whether PDF, Word, etc., and even images can be converted with Casuile into a readable format. Um, I think without these screen readers, I wouldn't have been able to exercise my life on an equal footing with others and especially as a practicing lawyer. Uh, I am not a braille reader. I was not born blind and uh, unfortunately I did not learn braille at an early stage of my life. I did learn it but I'm not able to exercise my life as a lawyer uh, with using braille. So I am heavily dependent on my screen readers. Um, In addition to that, I use VoiceOver, which is a screen reader on my iPhone. Um, I'm not sure if the listeners know that all Apple products have built-in screen readers. iPad, iPhone, Apple Mac, uh, laptops, etc. So basically, I had just to activate it once I bought the product. And again, I read work emails, personal emails, um, do whatever a sighted person uh, do with their mobiles, basically. No, absolutely. And is there any piece of technology that you use that hasn't kept up uh, and become sufficiently accessible. We could put out a rallying call. Ah, just... uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for raising this. Um, uh, yes, there are some aspects, and uh, unfortunately, uh, I am lucky enough to work for Clifford Chance, who is happy to fund this, but I would say not everyone will be able to. Uh, to work for big employers who can support them. For example, there are some aspects of Word which are not directly accessible unless you amend the IT system, which is called scripting. Mm -hmm. And it is done by specialists and uh, like Blazy, who does that 
um, mainly for lawyers. So there is a need to amend the IT system in order to allow people uh, to access, for example, track changes efficiently. Track changes uh, are accessible with Word, but when we talk about long documents, the IT system has to be amended in order to allow a visually impaired person to read such documents competently. I wish this is uh, made accessible directly without the need to go all through all the process and instructing an external company and, um, yeah, spending a huge amount. Oh, I it's understand. very expensive, yeah. It does make me think we must all be sharing documents every day which just aren't suitably accessible, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. And similar for our clients as well, right? That are in a similar situation. Oh, absolutely. To yeah. Well, as I said, I am lucky enough to have a PA for myself, and uh, we are in the process of making these changes. But what about people who work for smaller law firms? Right. Uh, what about people who are reluctant to, yeah, voice yeah. their uh, concerns? And so, I want to talk more broadly about how. Um Technology is changing, I guess, the whole world and especially uh, the profession of law. Mm. Uh, I just mm. want to ask one personal question, Fadia. Sure. Along your journey, which you've so clearly highlighted, mm. did anybody doubt you along the way? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So many people. But I never let them discouraging me. And I shall never allow such people to discourage me. And would you put it as bluntly as that they did actively discourage you? Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I secured work placements with law firms without being aware that I am visually impaired. And once they were made aware, they contacted me saying, oh, sorry, um, we will put you on our record and we'll contact you. Wow. Um, Unfortunately, and I can announce basically the name of the Magic Circle firm, I had to go through a test. And um, this is not clear for chance, obviously. Uh, It's called Watson Glacier. And this uh, test basically requires the applicant to complete questions and the questions will be chosen randomly from a bank of questions. That system does not work with JAWS. And that firm, when I applied to them, they said, we will ask you to do 80 questions instead of 40 questions that a cited candidate uh, will be asked to complete. And I said, why would I be doing... 18 instead of 40, they said, because we can't allow Jaws to pick up random questions. And I did it, and obviously I did not pass the test. However, when it came to Clifford Chance, it was exactly the same test, but it was provided in a Word format, which was very accessible. I passed it, and I am where I am. Well, goodness. I mean, Nick, yes. Nicky's mouth has fallen open at this point. <laughs> oh, this is one story. Honestly, if I need to tell you, we'll be here until tomorrow. Wow. Another law firm asked me to do the verbal reasoning test, which I'm not sure if uh, the listeners will uh, know what it is. It's basically another type of test that um, applicants of the legal profession will be asked to do. They asked me to do it over the phone. And obviously, how would you expect a candidate to complete a test over the phone? And it didn't work out. It was a big law firm, by the way. Not a magic circle. A huge law firm. Well, yeah, I can't give any further details. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, no. Now, this is astonishing. It does make me realise yeah. we've got so far to come just in terms of understanding. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, yeah. Gosh, I think it's begin? inevitable to come across people who will discourage you. It is heartbreaking. And that's why I always say... You need to be determined enough. You need to have the right level of perseverance and patience in order to pursue the legal career with a visual impairment or any other impairment so you can succeed and show others that you are able. 
and you will achieve what you want. Absolutely. And we're all going to talk together about how mm. technology transforms the workplace in, in many, many different ways for, yeah. for all of us. Uh, let me let me bring in Nikki at this point. Nikki Clegg, Dr. Nikki Clegg, uh-huh. uh, the Erwin Mitchell Group, the CTO uh, since, uh, well, not uh, since, since last year, actually, since uh, June last year. Yeah. And I say Dr. Nikki Clegg because, of course, you spent over 10 years uh, at the British Library. And I think your PhD was in, in climate research. In am I right? climate research. Yes, it was. Yes. So talk about zigzagging. This is amazing. So tell me... <laughs> Yeah. So, so how did this all start? Where did, where did, you, where did you start? Where did you grow up? Um, so I grew up in Lancashire and um, from about the age of 11, I really wanted to be a chemist, um, do chemistry. I had a fantastic chemistry teacher, Mr. Mason, and uh, I was determined that I wanted to be a professor by 30. Yeah. Um, so that was it, you know. So I went and did chemistry at, at university, did a PhD. I was fascinated in global climate change. Um, so I did a PhD related to that modelling. Did you make that deadline? Uh, I did. <laughs> Make that deadline, yes. And I guess then, then I went into academia, and it kind of wasn't what I expected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the rose-tinted glasses kind of shattered a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, it what was, frustrated you? Um, so it was having very little time to actually do any research. I see. Um, it was writing proposals. Yeah. It was teaching, and I'm, um, I, I didn't really enjoy teaching the students at that point in my career. Um, and I guess, yeah, I. I I learned programming through my PhD and realised what technology was starting to offer and so just decided to have a complete career change mm. and, um, yeah, so started coding. <laughs> and you, and you, were you self-taught? Were you? Uh, yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. yeah. I mean, when I started my PhD, I basically got handed a green and white stripey load of paper and a book on how to program in Fortran and that was it. Um, wow. Yeah. So you taught yourself. Um, I'm making a slightly crass observation. I don't meet many female CTOs, to be quite honest. No, that's mm. that's true. Why that's do you true. think that is? Do I need to get out more? Uh, no, uh, no. Unfortunately, it's an unfortunate situation. The diversity uh, in the sort of top technology jobs is 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 low, uh, but it is improving. It is improving. Um, and at Erwin Mitchell Group within the technology department, and um, we're we're at, at the senior level. We're well, in fact, across the whole IT department, we're we're quite diverse, um, almost fifty fifty split. Um, but I think in terms of um, CTO roles, it it's, it is still very dominated by. Mm. White men, really? Yeah, indeed. No, in, indeed. No, 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 Nikki, I'm, I'm jumping around a bit, but I do want to just quickly jump back one step because um, British Library, yeah, <laughs> eleven years, and then all of a sudden, this fantastic law firm, Erwin well, Mitchell. I, was a, I went, I went from the British Library. I actually went to an energy firm. Uh, I was at an energy firm for about seven years, yeah. looking out for the company that delivers electricity. So that was one, and uh, Electricity Northwest. Mm-hmm. Um, they still do deliver electricity to the northwest of England, so yeah. five million customers, um, and that was about looking after the technology for both um, managing the electricity grid and the organisation themselves as well. Yeah, and, and I can see a climate link there as well in terms of yeah. So that was very much roots. I was very much driven around how how my role could help reduce fuel poverty. Yeah. Um, obviously, by making the organisation more efficient, that would have. Um, positive impacts on fuel prices right. and things like that. And then it strikes me, unless I've sort of not seen the clues, you know, CTO of this cracking law firm, yeah. uh, that seems like a, a reinvention. Did you fancy the change? Did somebody tap you on the <laughs> shoulder? I mean, just help us understand, because I'm fascinated by how people link from role to role. So um, initially, uh, uh, when I was approached about the role, it was because I had, would have had an op- or have an opportunity to work with the CIO, Gary Dowdle, who I'd met previously. Um, but then I also started to find out about more about the firm. 
Um, and law hadn't really interested me much, to be honest, up to mm-hmm. that point. Um, uh, but then I'm, you know, started to find out about Irwin Mitchell and um, social responsibilities in the DNA of the organisation mm. and the amount that they give back in terms of their community work. Um, combine that with the opportunity to use technology to change how law is delivered within the UK. But, you know, what's not to love about that? So let's, let's say a bit more about this, because I know that meeting the managing partner, you were really struck, and I know in some firms, you know, CSR, whatever we want to call it, is a bit of an add-on, isn't it? And I know that when you met Oh, when I met the CEO, the Andrew Tucker, yeah, it was amazing. Like, you know, yeah, having a, an opportunity just to speak with him for about 45 minutes. And I was like, right, yeah, I definitely want the job now. OK, so, so well, look, bring this, bring this to life a bit. What sort of things, and look, it's not a competition, but Fadia, I want to get your take on this as well. But give us a sense of how, how as a firm, you make a difference. So um, every um, colleague has an opportunity to use two CSR days a year. And, and I think... Um, if I, I'm going to try and remember the statistics now, but I think the year before last, um, that, that equated to about £2 million worth of pro bono work. And it's not just the lawyers and solicitors. Everybody does it. Right. So um, the IT organisation, you know, people in the IT organisation will... Uh, there's, there's been some uh, clearing canals and working with animal rescue organisations. Uh, so it's such a, a really wide variety. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm now being given a particular opportunity to... Um, to, to try and um, think about how we can use those CSR days and our experience and skills in a different way as well. So how can we think about promoting uh, coding as a career for yeah. um, for girls and, and for um, BAME community as well? Uh, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a cracking opportunity. Yeah. Really. And, and, and this is a really important link, isn't it, Fadia? Because, you know... Yeah great to get into a community to, mm. to, 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 to work at the grassroots this ability to do what you do professionally mm. pro bono mm. matters hugely just, just just touch on that from your perspective oh yeah absolutely I think it's really hard to this particular first chance gets involved in but I would say everyone is encouraged from uh, business staff members lawyers partners everyone at the firm uh, is encouraged to get involved in um, the huge variety of CSR um, initiatives that we uh, have uh, lawyers are required uh, to um, have 25 uh, hours a year uh, of CSR and basically such involvement will be taken into account when they are assessed um, uh, so all together with their billable work will oh, that's be assessed. interesting so yeah, it's actually their appraisal seen meeting. I don't know um, Nikki if that's the case um, which is almost seen as something that almost boosts your progression within the firm absolutely I I don't know about that at uh, Mitchell, to be honest. Mm. Um, uh, mm. I think it's just something that we do, yeah. not for personal gain, but for giving back to the community. No, and the idea, though, think? that it might almost count in a, in a, in a positive way mm. uh, towards your progression it is quite an interesting thought in terms of joining yeah. those thoughts. Nikki, can you, um, can you demystify this, um, this role of the CTO? Because for me, that could cover so many things, but uh, part of which sound quite, quite scary. But uh, just g- give us a sense of what that encompasses. Okay, so so primarily my role is to um, help the organisation identify what pieces of technology um, can help us and help our clients um, to um, give the best advice that our clients um, uh, can receive um, in the most efficient way possible um, and the most accessible way possible. So my job is all about building up what the technology strategy is and the roadmap to being able to deliver that Um totally aligned to changing client needs and the changing needs of the business so it's it's um 
it's it's really interesting and there's always a different challenge every day that you find out about different problems to resolve um uh but it's it's just quite exciting to be at such a tipping point in law yeah. you know mm-hmm. so legal legal services in the UK and worldwide i think are yeah. changing dramatically if i absolutely yeah. i think the best thing about it is that we can use our knowledge and experience to help others for example we offer uh, free legal advice at different law centers all over london to people who can't afford expenses of the legal service i think that's the best thing about csr we don't live in our own bubbles we can continue to live our lives with the others who have uh, different circumstances and we can offer our modest experience and knowledge and assist them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and then if, if we go back into this thought about technology, we go back 100 years, I presume we've still got typewriters, haven't we? We go into the future, goodness only knows, and all these predictions abound, don't they, about the, the role. Are coming. Well, indeed, and, and there won't be any lawyers, and there won't be any accountants, yeah. and goodness knows what there will be. No. And we'll all be doing one hour a week of work or something. Um, but let, let's have a practical example of how you think that technology is changing um, your world of work. So um, I think there are definitely things that we are doing um, uh, to try and make our processes better um, so that um, so laws incredibly complex. And I think historically, lawyers have um, been paid to create that complexity in a way, sort of. <laughs> um, uh, but what we need to do now is, is turn that on its head and use that intelligence mm. to, um, to drive simplicity. Mm. And through simplicity, we can create um, uh, easy to use and accessible mm. um, digitalized processes. Mm. Um, but I think what's really important um, for myself and for Owen Mitchell Group is that you don't dehumanize the services. Mm. So it isn't about the, the robots are coming, but they're going to augment services. They're not going to. Um, take them over. Yeah, right? somebody said I saw Professor Ian Golden speak two weeks ago, and he said it's not man against machine; it's mm. man and woman with machine. Yes, oh, I totally agree. With I don't that. know Definitely. if that resonates. Definitely. Um, uh, yeah, no, I totally agree because a machine won't work without a human being, and as a human being, we can't work without a machine. Yeah, I think it's a collaborative approach. To be honest with you, absolutely. Yeah, none of uh, yeah them will replace each other. I would say. And we touched, um, Fadia, on your own um, personal situation. I just wonder, more broadly than that, what's an example of how you see technology shaping the workplace, uh, the you know legal services? What's your take? Yeah, well, I think technology is changing the provision of the legal service. For example, we have some sort of software that help us to deliver. I would say, a more efficient um, service to the clients. We have a system that helps us to, for example, review documents quickly. Okay, so I'm going to encourage both of you to go a step further. Mm -hmm. Um, What's an example of something that you do in your role that you feel quietly confident won't be replaced by a machine or robot? Uh, I get told off using the word robot anytime soon. Just give us a sense of what only humans can do. I'm springing these uh, questions yeah. on you today, aren't I? So I think um, so. It, it is about that human engagement, and it's about the connection, uh, the connections that you make in order to be able to help someone to really understand what their issues are. And that's the same with um, uh, whether you're looking at uh, uh, what technology is the right technology to give to someone, or what's their legal problem. Right? It's mm. the sometimes they don't know, they can't explain what their needs and requirements are and they need help in doing that and 
without the emotional intelligence that comes along with the conversation mm-hmm. and the connection and the relationships, then it's very hard to be really sure about the answer that you're giving someone. That's Does really that make sense? Yes, because I sense that intuition might be at play there. Yeah. A certain sensitivity. Yes. In definitely. a way that a machine might be matching a bit more crudely. Yeah. Um, Fanny, what do you think? What, 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 what will a machine not replace in your world? I think especially in the financial regulation world, I think a machine can replace a human being's brain when you receive a query maybe for one or two lines and you need to spend maybe... You know, five or six hours analysing what the query is and how how you can deliver a tailored solution for the client. I think that's something that a machine can't do. Yeah, maybe it helps you with uh, comparing between documents and reviewing documents, but it won't help you to find a tailored and bespoke solution for your client. Yeah, that's yeah. what the machine can't do, basically. I think we'll get more support in terms of yeah. options mm. and mm. Um, potential solutions, but at the end of the day... It's the lawyer's expertise that's yeah. going to choose the best solution for the client. Yeah. And when we when we look, I mean, I want to look at the upsides as much um, as well. When you see how um, tech is playing out uh, today, causes for concern. You know, it's, you know, there are so many people that sort of think it needs to be, you know, curtailed regulated and so on so so we'll come to the points of light i suppose um causes for concern it could be in it could be in law it could be a bit broader i guess there's there's quite a lot of um discussion going on at the moment with the law society around uh, algorithms Mm. um and the use of artificial intelligence and machine learning Mm. um Mm. in courts in health systems etc and the inherent bias that could be introduced through historical data um, or through um, uh, the not having the proper checks and balances in place um, before the outcome that an algorithm suggested is put into action. Mm. Um, and I guess, you know, what, what do we do? How do we make sure that the proprietary nature of the algorithm is still respected, but that the ethical tests are, are in place to mm-hmm. yeah I don't know what the answer to that is yeah, but it comes <laughs> down to, again to this human quality of judgement doesn't it yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah, yeah. No, so this, this, sounds, this sounds very complex but Fadi what's your what gives you cause for concern I think the accuracy of the outcome, to be honest with you. I think having that sort of technology means that we don't have to go back and check what was checked or reviewed or uh, like went to through by the machine. That means we set aside and leave it to the machine. Yes, we do have uh, a role to play, but obviously we are not going to undertake the task. How can we make sure that the, the outcome is as accurate as we want it? Mm. I think yeah. it's very tricky to be 100% sure. If I do it by myself, yeah, I can be 100% sure. But how can I make sure that the machine is doing what the client and uh, us want the machine to do, basically? Yeah, and there's kind of like that yeah. the whole, it always comes back to human behaviour, doesn't it? Yes. In the, yeah. in what, is it the white coat syndrome where if, if somebody in a position of power tells you something, you tend to believe them, yes. even if... Mm. It, it might not be true. And yes. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And what do great lawyers do if not question things? Yeah. And say so that absence mm. of questioning mm. could be, I suppose, a cause for concern. I mean, in very broad terms, Fadia, mm-hmm. to what extent do you see technology as a force for good? I think it's a great, but it, it should not, and I think will not replace a human beings. No, Sorry. That's right. No, have no, I no that makes your sense. Question? Yeah, you have. You yeah. have. Yeah, yeah. Extremely succinctly. Mm. Um, Nikki, your take on that is a big, broad question, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, and, and it's it's something I think about as a, a lot, obviously, because I'm CTO. Um, uh, 
I think technology has got enormous potential for good. Um, uh, I guess the downside is it's often poorly implemented. Um, and I think the more we think about um, user-centric design, um, accessibility, usability, um, testing it with the people that are going to be using it, mm-hmm. um, whether that's internal colleagues or whether that's external clients, um, I think that it's got enormous potential. Um, I was recently at a, um, an Access to Justice conference and you know, the debates are around, is digitalization the right thing to do? Because the literacy, um, the low literacy levels uh, globally and within the UK mean that even if you digitalize a, a process, some people still won't be able to access it. But at the same time, if you do digitalize processes and therefore allow self-service, then that can free up capacity within the advisory um, sector to, to be able to service the people that can't necessarily yes. help themselves. So it, 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 it's, it's, there's no one answer to this, but I think, I think technology in the right way can do an awful lot for us, yeah. Right. Now, one thing so many people I meet say is, look, when we look at the tech roles available uh, across the economy, we simply don't have enough women, and particularly young women, applying for these jobs, mm-hmm. doing the necessary subjects. So, uh, again, I put you on the spot. How do we change that? What would you say? And feel free to start as young in their lives as you like. I, I think um, it has to be in schools. Um, I think there's still an issue around... Um, girls not being encouraged at school to do science, engineering and technology. Um, what's quite interesting as well is there's um, you know, a lot of very smart girls go into law, right? Um, uh, but if you introduce them to coding quite early, then they're starting to think about the idea of these legal engineer type roles where mm-hmm. you've got lawyers that can code and then all of a sudden that opens up a right. whole new world of skills and capabilities. Some are all models, basically. Yeah. Yeah, having role models. Oh, yeah, definitely. And definitely. that's why I wanted to get you as a guest, Nikki, actually, because I think so often someone will say, you know, oh, I'm going to work for Manchester United, and their friend will say, oh, I didn't know you played football. Oh, yeah. Just this idea that all these firms contain such diverse roles. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and it's only going to get more diverse. Um, we've been doing some internal work around what the firm of the future might look like in 2030. And a big part of that is around the... Um, multidisciplinary cross skills and mm. moving away from career ladders and we've sort of been internally describing it as a career tree. Yes, <laughs> no, I understand, I like that. So Fadi, um, I'm going to go back to a piece of advice as well actually because having got into uh, Clifford mm. Chance, mm. Any, anything you've learnt about your own progression within it because a lot of people tuning in mm. uh, to the lens are thinking, how do I make my next move? How do I thrive within the organisation? Mm. How about a practical tip? You mean within within Clifford Chance yeah, or in so. the legal world as a whole? No, I think I think within the firm as well. Um, it can seem uh, it can seem daunting. Everyone is expected to work hard. Um, you need to be open for challenges and changes. Um, it's a great place. You need to make the most of working with such highly intelligent people. Learn from their experiences. Um, network with as many people as possible um it's a golden opportunity to listen to people who have worked with the Clifford Chance for years and years and I always say I think by networking with such people asking for their advice you can get a word of wisdom that they've spent years and years yes. in like learning that word of wisdom but you can get it less than a minute from them. Yeah, exactly, that distillation. And um, Nikki, on that point of distillation, I know you've been with the firm uh, just over a year. Um, What would you say to a new starter 
about getting the most from the firm? A piece of advice to uh, to a new starter at, at, at any age, what would you say? Um, keep asking questions. Um, uh, don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, and I think one of the great things about Irwin Mitchell was um, you know, they everyone was just really open and willing to share and willing to talk about things. And I think all you have to do is just be brave enough to ask. Interesting. So, and and here, here's, a, here's a controversial question. Do you find within a firm, as a technologist, I suppose, within a firm of lawyers, is it Mars and Venus? Do you all work along <laughs> together? Is there any... I don't know how it works. Uh, what's, well, I mean, I think what's quite interesting is um, uh, I've heard my team say that I'm the first chief technology officer I've ever met that's not really interested in technology. So oh. I am interested in technology, <laughs> but I'm more interested in people. But you seem to have t- oh, <laughs> but you seem you seem to have taken it as a compliment. I absolutely so, yeah. take it as a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> and what I do they do. mean when they're saying it? What have they noticed you doing or not doing? Uh, so it, it's about understanding what drives people and about what under, what what, um, what drives people's behaviours and about trying to solve their problems. Technology is just an enabler, right? At the end of the mm. day. Um, it, the last thing you should do is throw technology at a problem if you don't really understand what mm. you're trying to solve. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because Fadia, weirdly or interestingly, in your case, technology has sometimes been a disabler if it's not accessible. Does that make sense? Am I contradicting uh, myself? Um, you know, in the sense it has so much potential and yet some simple omissions can leave it unlocked. Um, I don't think we can describe it as a disabler. I would say it's an enabler, but uh, that needs improvement because mm. we can't basically ignore what the technology has been doing. Without technology, I wouldn't have been able to practice as a lawyer. Right. Uh, well, I would say study law, let alone practicing as a lawyer. I'd say it is and has always been an enabler, but as everything in our life, it still needs some improvement. And I think the way people are thinking about designing services now mm. is changing um, dramatically. So oh, yeah. this user-centric design, user experience-led, mm, mm. Um, it, it, it results in far better solutions. Mm. Um, so getting involved with, uh, with the people that are going to be using the services and getting them testing and changing and iterating mm. um, just, just means you end up with a much, much better outcome. Mm. Um, I think hi- historically and still perhaps there are um, uh, points where technology has been implemented and actually it is, it's had unintended consequences in the wrong direction. If we think about the example with a magic cycle firm which refused to give me the materials in an accessible format, it was not the technology itself. Yes, the technology did not work on one occasion, but there was an alternative. So if we think about it, it was people who put that hurdle on my way yes. because yeah. if technology was a disabler, it meant Clifford Chance wouldn't have been able to provide the test. So technology played its role, but obviously some adjustments needed from a human being perspective. Yeah, yeah. indeed. No, it's, it, it, it's, it's a really useful conclusion, actually, isn't yeah. it, on that? Um, so I ask all of our guests uh, on the lens uh, the same very quick-fire questions. Uh, um, I'm always interested to know who you want to meet. Uh, so if you could have a coffee with anyone, uh, who would it be and why? So this is a sort of quick-fire, if you like. Uh, Nikki, who's, who's top of the list? So... I, I, you know, I struggled with this because it, it's like I was thinking, who would I really like to meet um, just sort of generally? Um, uh, but then also there's a key problem, right? So a key, key problem that I'd really like help solving or mm. the world would like help solving. Um, and that is how do we collaborate more across um, law, across legal services to share more information so that we can accelerate access to justice yeah mm. um so and i was thinking about that and i was thinking actually if i could have a coffee with jim whitehurst who's the ceo of red hat mm. 
Mm. So um, when he joined Red Hat, he said, I wasn't the person brought in to clean up the chaos. I was the person brought in to scale this more organic way of working. Mm. I was brought in to create the context for people to do their best work. And Red Hat, of course, are, are an open source led organisation. It's all about sharing. It's all about crowdsourcing information and improvement. And I'd really like to talk to him about how do we get that? How can we do that? How can we create open source for law? And Red Hat is a tech firm. Yeah, they are. Mm -hmm. But it's not just about tech as well. It's about sharing best practices and processes. We spend a lot of time, you know, 10 firms spend 10 weeks improving the same process. Why don't we spend 10 weeks improving 10 different processes and share it? Yes. And imagine being able to put that out there and have a more collaborative answer. Fanny, who would you meet? The Queen. Yes, Her Majesty, yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's a dream. I grew up, uh, was born and grew up in a country which was governed by a dictator. And I see the Queen as a complete opposite to that character. So I would really love to meet her one day. Well, I'm sure it's going to happen. Let's hope so. (laughs) What would you you ask her? Oh, a piece of advice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me know how you get on if you're allowed to repeat it. Okay. Um, How about books? Uh, Something on the bookshelf, something that you think is worthy of a wider audience? Uh, Fadi, I'll stick Mm. with you. Mm. Well, I would say for someone who wants to pursue a career in the legal world, I would recommend uh, All You Need to Know About the City Mm. by Christopher Stokes. It's a very good book, actually. It guides you from the beginning of working. Um, and the yeah. city in the sense of the square mile? Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. 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 Not not city as a, a city bank. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and on a personal level, I recently read a, a nice book. It's called The Province by Catherine Diamond. It's basically part of a series about... Uh, Murder investigations. The promise, yeah. Yes. Well, we will link to these yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so we can share these for ourselves. Nikki, yeah. uh, something on the bookshelf? Um, I think something that's helped me a lot in my career recently has been a book called On Form, Managing Energy, Not Time. Mm. Um, And it's all about understanding the different types of energy and how you um, have to push yourself, but also then allow time to recover Mm. in order to improve and keep yourself in balance. Oh, I love it. There's so much we can learn from sport Mm. in that as well. So it's interesting because it was um, written by people who used to coach tennis players. Yes, yes. It's actually, there's something on the razor's edge about it's what they do in the breaks that makes all the difference. Yeah, or uh, just before they um, serve a ball. Or um, yeah, okay, it's very really, okay. really so on form. I like it. Very good. Good tip. Thank you. Uh, finally, um, piece of advice to your former self. So, Fadi, perhaps going back to your childhood, growing up in Iraq, it could be at the very first yeah. stage of your career. What would you say? Don't be hard on yourself. Yeah, if you don't expect others to be perfect, why would you expect yourself to be? And you think you were too hard on yourself? I think I was, and I am continuing to be. Something that, yes, I need to change. (laughs) (laughs) How do we get that balance between being too hard on ourselves and still pushing ourselves? It's a very difficult balance to be struck, but it's a skill to be acquired, to be honest with you, and I am working on it. Well, I want to hear more over over time, and I know it's not going to be the last time we meet. Oh, absolutely, uh, I really hope so. <laughs> it's a, no, it's a cracking piece of advice, Nikki. Uh, advice to your former self. It could be just having a, well at any point you like. Tell us, tell us who you would say what to. Um, I think I would say um, it's okay to be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, and I thought about it's okay to fail, but actually it's okay to be wrong. And as long as you can admit that and learn from it and move on for it, from it, I think that's it's really important to recognise that. It's less scary if you know that's fine. Yeah, and, and, and when you give yourself that advice to your earlier self, are you giving it within a work context much more broadly? More broadly, much more broadly. <laughs> yeah, so in terms of decisions, quite yeah. well. I do wonder where you're both going to be in terms of the next uh, the next 10 years. I mean, Fadi, do you see DC, the law, as being the place you stay? Oh, yeah, indeed. Really? <laughs> oh. That's exciting. <laughs> now, this is only scary because I know Fadia through One Young World, which has several heads of state as its members oh, wow. and supporters. And the sky's the limit. But, uh, well, will you let us know how we can support you in that? Oh, thank you. Please, um, over time. Or today, is there anything you, you'd like support with? Um, well, I would like to stay in touch. Yeah, to stay in touch and... Yeah, uh, not an imminent uh, need of assistance, but I would really like to stay in touch with you. And um, yeah, I really hope that I have gained uh, a new acquaintance today. Yeah, for sure. And I must say, through the business and the community, yes. community, um, uh, there are some fascinating, uh, fascinating players as well. Uh, Nikki, what's on your sort of far horizon? You get a sense of that. Um, as long as I'm always helping other people to be the best that they can be then I don't really mind where I'm going to be. Well watch this space I mean crikey we've gone uh, Energy Company British Library Owen Mitchell uh, well we've uh, uh, we've come to the end of our uh, our time today but let me just say uh, Dr Nikki Clegg uh, Fadi Hossein thank you very much for joining me. Thank you Ollie. You've been listening to The Lens with me Ollie Barrett. If you like what you heard, please leave us a comment and subscribe to us on iTunes and you'll get the latest episodes as they drop. The Lens is a business in the community programme powered by Fujitsu and supported by McCann. Today's episode is produced and directed by Harvey Winter with music and editing by Giselle Hall. Our executive producer is Sergio Lopez. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.